I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. Tonight we're reading 2 Samuel, chapter 19. In chapter 18, do you boys remember what happened? Hmm. Absalom died? That's right. And Trey, who is Absalom? David's son. And what was he trying to do? Kill David. Right. Brock, do you remember why he was trying to do that? Because Absalom wanted to be king. That's right. Absalom was trying to take an opportunity to become king of Israel. Israel. That's right. Oh, we almost forgot. We have Harper tonight. Thank you, Trey. We are being visited by Harper, who is our seven-year-old sister. And she's super pretty. And she gets that from her mother, who is also sitting in Brock's room tonight with us. We're thankful to have them. Thank you, Trey. Mm-hmm. Brock, who killed more men in the battle when Absalom attacked David's men? The forest or David's men? The forest. The forest. And Trey, who did that? what did that mean? What did that indicate? God was on David's side. That's right. But the heart of the father was always with his son. Why was David hurt at the end of the battle? Because Absalom died and um, he kept, he wept mm-hmm. for him. Because even when your son literally is trying to kill you, as a father you can't help it. You love him. It doesn't matter. It's not conditional upon what he wants to do to you. It's unconditional. A good father just loves his children. And David certainly loved Absalom, and he was sad when Absalom died. And we are continuing now in chapter 19, verse 1. Joab was told, The king is weeping and mourning for Absalom, and for the whole army the victory that day was turned into mourning, because on that day the troops heard it said, The king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day, as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters 
and the lives of your wives and concubines. You love those who hate you, and you hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today, and all of us were dead. Now go out and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come upon you from your youth until now. So the king got up and took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told, the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him. I think this was good advice from Joab. Because David, he's sad about his son, right? But a bunch of people just fought on his behalf. And he is crying about it so much because of how much he loves Absalom that to the other men, they're starting to think, gosh, would he have just been happier if we would have died and Absalom would have killed all of us? And Brock shaking his head, certainly not. So it's important that David, even though he has this unconditional love for his son, and he wants the best of both worlds, he can't have it. And he needs to also give thanks and celebrate with the men who can see that the Lord delivered this victory into their hands and they're thankful for it. And they want their leader, their king, to be thankful to them as well. And rightfully so, don't you think? Continuing on in verse 9. Meanwhile, the Israelites had fled to their homes throughout the tribes of Israel. The people were all arguing with each other, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies. He is the one who rescued us from the land of the Philistines. But now he has fled the country because of Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed to rule over us, has died in battle. So why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? King David sent this message to Dezach and Abiathar, the priests. Ask the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king at his quarters? You are my brothers, my own flesh and blood. So why should you be the last to bring back the king, and say to Amasa, Are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if from now on you are not the commander of my army in place of Joab. Effectively, what David just did was promoted Amasa to be the head military leader of Israel's army and demoted Joab from that position. It was probably a, an effort of unity. He wanted to unify the people who rebelled against him because it was important to him that Israel come together and be one people again and don't continue living in civil war. Understand? Mm -hmm. In verse 14, He won over the hearts of all the men of Judah as though they were one man. They sent word to the king, Return you and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shemai son of Gerah, the Benjamite, from Baharim, 
hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. With him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Zebah, the steward of Saul's household, and his fifteen sons and twenty servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and do whatever he wished. When Shimei, son of Gerah, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I your servant know that I have sinned, but today I have come here as the first of the whole house of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king. So Shimei is basically trying to ask forgiveness for his counsel against David. I don't know, do you guys think that David will forgive him? Probably not. Trey thinks probably not. What do you think, Brock? I don't know. I don't know how he'll treat Shimei. It's a good question. I do want to take this opportunity tonight to ask Harper if she will come tell us each of her memory verses. Well, one of the verses that Harper and me talk about every night that she knows well, but is a little bit shy and doesn't want to say, is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And what do you boys think that means? It means um, Christ can give you the, the strength to do anything. Right, I think you're right. I think it's pretty, you don't have to deduct much here. It's that whenever you need strength in an area of your life, Christ can give you the strength to get through it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's right. There's another one that she reads that says, All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. What do you think that means, Brock? I think it's, um, all who prays to the Lord will, um, be saved. I think that's a good explanation. I think it it ties well into the verse that says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that, what? Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's right. It's that all means anybody. All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. You know who that includes? It includes people from other countries. It includes people who don't look like you. It includes people who don't think like you. It includes people who may be struggling with sin. It includes people who aren't struggling as much. There's no qualifiers. It just says, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. We can take great security in that. That once we've called on the Lord, once we've believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, our greatest questions are answered. And that's why me and Harper talk about that, is we want to acknowledge that 
there may be difficulties in this life that we face, but we know that we will be saved. Now, when we're talking about saving, we're not talking about being saved necessarily from an illness, although in this house we do believe in the Lord's divine healing. We believe that, not because we want it to be true, but because the Lord lists it as one of the gifts of the Spirit. And so we're going after it because it's what the Bible says. But when we talk about all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, we're not necessarily saying saved from cancer. We're not necessarily saying saved from death on earth. We're not necessarily saying saved from an embarrassing moment at school. We're talking about the salvation of our souls, right? That he left to go prepare for us a place and that we will be united with him in heaven when we call on his name. Truth? Yes. The third one that we talk about is, we we change the wording a little bit, but we say, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Brock, what do you think that means? I don't know. Okay, Trey, what do you think that means? Whenever we are weak and like powerless against something um it's a perfect time for um the lord to show his strength beautiful that's right even though because sometimes when we're weak it can make us feel like we're not enough for him or like we failed him or like maybe there's an outside chance that he's going to reject us you know And it's in those moments when we feel lost and we feel in despair and we just feel too weak to be worthy of God that he comforts us, telling us, it's your weaknesses that make my power perfect. If you were a strong person and you never sinned and you didn't struggle with anything or have any fears or doubts how much would you need God? Zero percent. Maybe, yeah, maybe somebody could say not very much. It's in your weakness that we realize, wow, he is powerful. He is powerful. And so that's what that means. Uh, The fourth one that we discuss is love hopes all things love endures all things love believes all things love never fails what do you think it means to say love hopes all things what is hope i don't know it's kind of like some it's like it's similar to a belief that you could do something or something will happen something good right Not just something will happen, but that something good will happen. Now, is the Lord's definition of good the exact same as my definition of what's best, of what's good? No. No. And so I need to have peace when I don't understand. But just understand that love hopes in the best. It it has a hope 
to it that there's going to be something good that comes out of it. When you love somebody and you've been away from them and then you know you're going to see them, how much hope is in your heart? You're not expecting bad things to happen. You're looking forward to that moment in hope. You just expect that you're going to hug them, that you're going to kiss them, that you're going to say, I love you. You know? That's hope. That's what true love has in it. Love, it hopes all things. It endures all things. What does it mean to endure? Like, in a way, to take hold of. To take hold of, to go through. Mm-hmm. Right? To, uh, to decide that love isn't going to fall apart. It's not going to fail because we're going through something difficult. The Lord's love isn't going to fail us because we faced an obstacle. Whatever the sin issue is in your life, it's not bigger than God's love. I believe he would have told us that if, it, if, if that was the truth. But love will endure all things. Love believes all things, which I think has to do with hope. Right? A hopeful expectation of good and a belief that it will happen. It's a belief in the things that are unseen. That when you love somebody and you're praying for them and you know that there's an area in their life that you're praying for deliverance and you haven't seen it, you believe it will happen. Ask any parent that prays for their children. That's part of being a parent. You have to believe something you haven't seen yet. Right? And and we do when we love our kids we believe stuff that we haven't we haven't seen yet we just believe it and then the last part is love never fails lust being like infatuated with somebody do you know what infatuated means Brock? No. kind of like obsessed or like somebody you, you really like them for a short period of time because they're new and you're interested in them um, that will fail people But when you truly love somebody, it will not fail you. Now, we're people. People will fail. True? I'm not going to live up to every one of your expectations, Brock. I'm going to fail. And when I do that, I just have to apologize to you. That's all I can do. I'm a human being. Same with you, Trey. Do you understand that? But love... The concept, the thing God created and gave us and put in our heart, that doesn't fail. And the only place that you can receive it perfectly is from Him. We are all going to love each other the best we can. Just keep in mind, we're humans. So when we say love never fails, don't mistake God's character of love for the person that you're receiving love through. Does that make sense? All we can do is our best. And we'll talk about the last one on another day because me and Harper are still working on that one. It's one that we say often, especially in our prayers, especially when we're going through something that isn't so comfortable. We remember that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I truly believe that everybody in this room And the people listening are called according to his purpose. Give your heart to him. Fall in love with him. 
and he will work out all things together for good. Even the hard times, they will work out together for good. Even if you go through this whole life and never see it, don't lose hope. This is a short life. God works in eternity outside of time. He sees everything out on a time scale. So even though we might not see something today, he can see it and we can have hope and believe that he is working it out for a greater good. Agree? Well, I had fun tonight. And thank you, Harper, for joining us and mom. And thank you for allowing us to talk about your verses. Because they're very special to me. And the time I spend with Harper every night, who we call Gail sometimes, but her name is Harper. Gail. Um, I'm very thankful for the time that we get to spend after doing Bedtime Bible Boys, talking about those verses, memorizing them, and talking about what they mean. We can always remember that when we memorize verses, it in Ephesians we know from Ephesians we know that the word of God is what part of the armor tray? The sword. That's the sword. It's the sword of the spirit. And right? the foundation, the sandals. The gospel. That's right. So you're right, the Bible plays in a couple places, but the word of God is the sword, and it is our offensive against the enemy. So when the enemy comes to attack us, we have several pieces of defensive armor, but the one piece of offense we get is the Word of God. And that's why it's important to put these scriptures in our mind and keep them there so that way when we're facing that giant, when we're facing that problem that the enemy has put, when we're facing that unique weapon that the enemy has formed against us, it shall not stand because his words are in our mind, they're in our hearts, and we can pull those out to use them through the sword of the Spirit against him. I love you boys. Love you too. And I love you girls. And y'all are good kids. <laughs> <laughs>